Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And Greg, who had just wiped off his hands with hand sanitizer, <laughs> will bring one right to your seat. <laughs> you know, if we take the same precautions we always take, you know, then we'll be fine. And, and I remember when I first got here, I mean, I was getting these colds this 20 years. I get colds week after week because that shake everybody's hands. And we didn't have the hand sanitizers back then. I'm thinking, man, I got to wash the congregation off my hands, you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we just get our hands clean. We're, we'll be fine. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes, for I want you to know what a great confidence I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The title of my message this morning is, One Step at a Time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together, Lord, to be in this place. Holy Spirit, knowing you are here to teach us, instruct us, encourage us, exhort us, convict us, just to do that work in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, on our part, that we would have open ears to receive all that you have for us. We do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, or if there's anyone listening to this message via podcast that they they don't know you as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, that they would make that commitment today. They would turn from their sin and turn to you and be born again today. Thank you for our time together, Lord. We ask your blessing upon it, upon our children being ministered to downstairs, that in all things you are glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I am not a mountain climber. I, I, it doesn't interest me. I have backpacked. I have hiked in the mountains. But climbing a mountain to go, I want to go 10,000 feet, in the, I, it doesn't do anything for me. I read of a well-known mountain climber who gave this explanation of why people like to climb mountains. They want to get to the top and let the air rush through the holes in their heads. I don't know about that. But I did hear a story about a guy that was leading a group of people on a hike through some mountains. And he pointed to this fairly majestic looking peak and said, this one is the most popular uh, mountains for for climbers. Uh, You know, you have quite a few teams climbing this. He says, going up. You know, depending on your skill level, it can take between two and five hours. Going down, again, depending on your skill level, it can take between four hours or about 30 seconds. <laughs> again, depending on your skill level. <laughs> A few years back, we had Pastor Jason Powell out. He's from Harvest Christian Fellowship in, in California. And, and he used this illustration of Mount Everest in a study, and working together as a team, making the climb. And we have a different text this morning, but I like that illustration. I want to use it this morning. You look at Mount Everest, and it's a mountain. It's Earth's highest mountain above sea level. Its altitude is 29,029 feet. 
Mount Everest attracts all sorts of climbers, some of them highly experienced mountaineers. Two main climbing routes are there, one approaching the summit from the southeast in Nepal, known as a standard route, and the other one is from the north in Tibet. While not posing substantial technical challenges on the standard route, Everest does present dangers such as altitude sickness and weather and wind, as well as significant hazards from uh, the danger of avalanches. As of 2019, out of all those that have made the climb, there's a total of 300 people have died on Everest, many of those whose bodies still remain on the mountain today. They, they couldn't get them down. In the same way, listen, the Christian life is not an easy life. It's not a short little hike in the park, but it's a long climb and it's steep and it can be dangerous and, and, a very, uh, and at very times very trying. There are casualties along the way, those that have given up and turned back. One of the things that I appreciated about Jason's study a while back was in climbing Mount Everest, when you go up, you go up as a team, and each one of the persons in the team, they're all roped together. They're holding on a rope, climbing up, as he showed in this picture here of them climbing up Everest. Holding one another. I like that because in our study this morning, we're going to see that need to stick together to keep moving forward as a team, as a church, helping one another, lifting one another up. As a church, we're all united and tied together by our faith in Christ Jesus, climbing one step at a time. Christianity is a group effort. We need to be prepared, especially in the, in the days in which we're living in. See, this church in Colossae uh, and in our church today, there are dangers, there are false teachers, there are things that are disabling believers' faith, slowing them down. So Paul here, as our mountain climbing guide, wants to give us, and we're going to point out four things that will help us make it to the top, help us to get through to the finish line one step at a time. He's going to show us four things. Number one, how important it is to keep connected. Number two, keep climbing. Number three, keep committed. And number four, keep consuming. Now, as we come to chapter two of Colossians, if you missed chapter one, then you need to go back and listen to it. Because chapter 1, or read it, we, we looked at the deity of Jesus Christ. When uh, We saw when it comes to God, Jesus is the, the exact image of the invisible God. He is deity. When it comes to creation, He is the source of all that was and is created. He holds all things together. And when it comes to His church, Jesus is the head of His church, the body, and He holds even the church together. We are complete in Him. And Paul really drives home this point over and over again in this letter that Christ is sufficient, that Christ is, is all we need as God's people that in order to have a life that will glorify Him on this earth. See, Paul's purpose in writing to the Colossians uh, is so that they wouldn't be deceived by the false teachers who were seeking to come in and infiltrate the church through persuasive words and, and assaulting the person of Christ. That's why, again, Paul will continue throughout this letter to stress Christ's deity and the importance of Christ being preeminent in our lives. Because if you have Christ, you have all that you need. He's very sufficient to meet every need, to touch every hurt, to heal every problem, to move mightily in our lives. He is sufficient. I read a story about, uh, from the days of the Roman Empire of a certain wealthy senator who became estranged from his son. When the senator died unexpectedly, his will was opened. It was read by the executor of the state, stating, Because my son does not appreciate what I've done, I leave all of my worldly possessions to my loyal slave, Marcellus. 
However, because I am a man of grace, I bequeath to my son one of my possessions of his choosing. Sorry, said the executor to the son, you can only take one of your dad's possessions. Which will it be? The son replied, I'll take Marcellus. Very smart, because by taking Marcellus, he got everything else. And that's the idea that Paul has, and what he's saying here to these believers in the church of Colossae, to catch, understand, when you take Jesus Christ, you get all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge thrown in. When you open your heart to Him, you find everything you need. We are complete in Him. But see, that's not what the false teachers were saying. They were coming in and they were saying, well, you're not complete in Christ unless you do X, Y, and Z. Listen to us. We'll help you be more complete in Christ. So Paul is really combating these men. And in chapter 2, he begins to address the different deceptions that were being thrown at his Colossian friends. And we'll get to those next week. But it's for that reason that Paul writes in verse 4 that he doesn't want anyone to deceive them with persuasive words. He doesn't want them to get ripped off. Now, when I think of deception and persuasive words, if, you're, if this is your profession, I apologize, but I can't help but think of a car salesman. You know, you know what it feels like? You pull into that parking lot and, and, and it's like you're an injured, bleeding guppy and, and, and you're swimming in a school of sharks. You know, oh, this is great. Again, if you're a car salesman, I don't want to offend you. I'm not saying they're all bad, but there are those that can squeeze every last penny out of you. And you start off on the lot and you, you look at the car and here they come. How you doing? Looking at the car. Is this the one you want? Hey, look at this. You know, these persuasive words. And hey, hey, I, I think, what are you looking at? I think we can work this out. Come on inside. Let me get some information. Well, I'll present it to my boss, but I don't know if he's going to do this or not. You know, all right. Okay. You got a price. Okay. Got a, great. Okay. Now you need to go talk to our finance officer. Then you get in with him. Well, you know, we got this warranty for you. And, and it's just, if you just add one more year, you won't even see that pay. And they're just coming in. Add on after add on after add on. And that's what these false teachers were doing. Listen, you don't need add ons. They're just worthless. They're damaging. And there are sharks out there, and as Christians, the world is after you, and enticing you, seeking to draw you away with persuasive words. But the good news is God is also after you, seeking you, and seeking to draw you close to Him. Kind of a good news, bad news thing. It's true the world is after us to entice us, to stumble us, to rip us off. But God is also after us, seeking to draw us close to Him. And when we draw close to God, He draws close to us. It's been said, conversion has made our hearts a battlefield and the believers known by their inward warfare as well as their inward peace. Again, Paul's concern for this church was that believers would not be ripped off by the deceptions of the day, but instead be drawn to Christ. That's why he says, look now at verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the now, Paul had not actually visited there, but he wanted to speak to their hearts. Laodicea, he mentions there, that was near Colossae. It was one of the seven churches, if you recall, of the book of Revelation that Jesus described as being lukewarm. It's no wonder even at this time, Paul is, saw the importance of praying for them. And, 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 and really, this word in the Greek translated conflict there in verse 1, it's where we get our English word to agonize. 
Same word that we use for striving that we looked at last week. The, the word originally referred to this athletic competition. The athletes competing against one another. Striving with one another. Here Paul in this context is using to describe his prayer life. He's praying for this church in Colossae. He's praying for this church in Laodicea. There's, there's a conflict. He, he's battling in prayer. Let me ask you this. Do you take prayer serious enough that you, you're willing to agonize in prayer over people that you know? Or is it just easier to complain about and get critical when someone goes astray and they're messing up their lives and, oh man, they really blew it? Or do you go and battle to pray for them? Paul was one who knew there was a battle going on and, and he would battle back. That's why he wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. See, here's what it comes down to. Anyone who chooses to be on the side of Jesus Christ will face severe opposition. Satan will make sure of that. And from Satan's followers. And that's why one of the hardest things to do in the Christian walk is to pray. Paul knew from actual spiritual experience that when you pray, when you pray, you arouse a mighty opposition against you. But that didn't stop Paul. He would battle all the more. He was prayed up. He didn't give up. Can we say the same for us? Now, what was it that Paul prayed for in this church? Look at uh, verse 2. He prayed to stay connected. He says in verse 2 that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. The word uh, encouraged in the Greek is the word parakaleo, which means to call to one side, to help, to comfort. Now, why did Paul pray this? Because, again, he knew that they were being attacked, being brought down by these false teachers. They needed strength. They needed encouragement. They needed comfort. And Paul uses the word knit, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. That word knit speaks of our, our connection. Like climbing a mountain, we go, we're all holding on to that rope. We're all intertwined. It, it, it speaks of a rope intertwined, connecting each strand of garment together so that we're all connected as a whole. Their, their love would be, would knit them together, Paul says. After all, a church is not unified by the gifts or, or, or by what we term today as spirituality. The bond that unites us as believers, the Bible says, is love. It's the cement that holds us together. It's the, the Elmer's glue of the church. Paul tells us, and I think many of you know this, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, about love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not hope, rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, endures all things, love never fails. That's the type of love we need to have one for another. And sadly, oftentimes, you know, we, we can battle at home with our finances, battle at our jobs and our kids and our spouses and all the responsibilities that go along with that. That's a given. But the last place you want to battle is in church with other believers. Our hearts need to, to be knit together in love, a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, a love that never fails. In fact, Jesus said this in John 13.35, By this all you'll know you are my disciple if you have love one for another. So Paul's prayer is that you be knit together, connected in this love, coming alongside of each other with comfort and encouragement. So needed in the church today. 
a love for Christ that no matter what comes your way, that love never fails. Paul knew that if you're committed to loving each other, that that will protect you. You'll be protecting one another from the predators that would seek to come in and destroy you with a false teaching. Where the church gathers together and says, hey, back off, buddy. We don't want what you're selling. Get, get out the door. You know, our family sticks together. That's why Paul stresses the importance of staying connected because he knows that, that one of the first things the devil wants to do is isolate you. Isolate me to get us out on our own. The devil knows that an isolated Christian will never come into maturity in the faith. See, there's a direct link uh, between being involved with the body of believers and growing in maturity in Christ, as well as experiencing all that Christ has for you. I mean, going back to that mountain climbing illustration, what if that one climber holding on to the rope, climbing up the mountain, and said, you know, I don't want to go this way. I want to go that way. You have a problem, big problem. Because it's not only going to affect you, but it's going to affect the rest of the group. It can actually harm them, pull them down. That's why we need to stay connected as a, as a body of Christ. Because he knows, Satan knows, if he can get you out on your own, then you won't grow, you won't move forward in your relationship with the Lord. He'll do everything in his power to keep you from the fellowship of the saints. He wants you to be that lone ranger. Because he, he knows when you're gathered together with other believers, you get encouraged. You get comforted. You get consoled. You get exhorted. You experience the love of the saints. That's why he tries to keep us away, to keep you from fellowship, to, to keep us from coming together. I'm sure all of us, because I have, it had the experience where you're planning on going to Bible study and, and throughout the day and even towards the evening before you're ready for that Wednesday night, you, you mean you had a rough day at work. Anything that could go wrong did go wrong. You get home late. You, you're tired. You're worn out. Then on top of all, on top of it all, you get into a, a family disagreement, and now you're feeling condemned. Well, how can I even go to church? I yeah, shouldn't go to church. No, but that's the time we need each other the most. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way: in Hebrews ten twenty four and twenty five. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I mean, that's what fellowship was all about. Stirring up to one another to love and to good works, exhorting one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, not tearing each other down, bringing comfort to one another. And if need be, correct you know, one another when we get in error. I think that's one of the hardest things uh, to accomplish in today's church is to correct those that are in error. People get offended very, very easily nowadays. And in and, and our society, we don't like being told we're doing something wrong. We don't like hearing that, hey, we're getting disconnected. Hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. Man, you're getting, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying, man? You really need to get back in the Word. Oh, who are you to say that to me? But if we're going to be knitted together in love, then as the old captain in the Neil song goes, love, love will keep us together. For those of you that are a little bit older. Maybe a lot bit older, I don't know. If our love is founded in Jesus Christ, then if correction is needed, it's done out of love and concern for the fellow believer. And as a result, we won't be offended. That's why I like what Paul says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Mark 12, 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. 
This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It's all about sharing the love of Christ with each other. About stirring up love and good works. And as I hear your experiences with the Lord, and you hear my experiences with the Lord, and we start praying for one another, we're building each other up. We're encouraging one another in the faith. And that's what, what, what our, our fellowship really happens. That's when the love connection is made and God moves powerfully in the church. So we're climbing this mountain, our walk with the Lord. We need to, number one, keep connected. Number two, we need to keep climbing. I read that in 2019, it was a much larger number than the year before of those that have died climbing Mount Everest. In 2019, 12 people died compared to 5 in 2018. The reason? It's not what you would expect. They said that they have so many climbers that when they get almost to the top, there's a line of climbers waiting to reach the top to get that picture, that moment, and they're waiting and they're not moving. And they're not moving in minus 40 degree weather with the oxygen extremely thin that they're dying of hypothermia and lack of oxygen before they can make it down. Here's a picture of it. You can see it. All the people lined up like, you know, like the Matterhorn at Disneyland. I mean, they're all lined up to go through there. Look at the end of verse 2. Paul says, we're to stay knitted together in love attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, God doesn't only want us to stay connected, to be knit together in love, but He wants to see us attaining, is what He says in verse 2. The word attaining means to, to apprehend, to lay hold of something, to reach our goal. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3.12, Not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul pressed on. Paul kept climbing. See, in the Christian life, we never stand still. We're either going forward or gradually slipping backwards. For the writer in Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 6.1, Let us go on to maturity. It's a call we must all obey. The Christian who is not making spiritual progress is an open target for the enemy to attack and to destroy. I think of King David. When it was time for the kings to go to war, David stayed home and did nothing but take a walk out in his back patio. You see Uriah's Uriah's gorgeous wife Bathsheba bathing herself, appropriately named Bathsheba. He calls her to her chambers, chambers, had sexual relations with her. David sinned when he was doing nothing but staying home when he should have been out fighting the good fight. Again, if we're not moving forward spiritually, then we're sliding back and there's no standing still. And again, the Christian who is not making spiritual progress is an open target for the enemy to come in and really make matters worse. Think about this. Here's the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christian men of all time, And he's saying that I've not attained yet. I mean, here's a guy who's led countless people to faith in Christ, established churches, written epistles, yet he himself said he had so much to learn that he had to to keep going, he had so far to go. It's kind of hard for us to imagine that Paul would have the same type of struggles that we have, but, but Paul is saying here, I can't live off of my past experiences. I need to keep moving forward as well. 
And I think if we listen to ourselves and if we find ourselves in our conversations and we're always talking about what, what God did you know, a year ago or in our past, then we're in danger of standing still. We're in danger of not climbing, of not moving forward. You know, it's kind of like walking the wrong way on those uh, airport, you know, walkways. You're turning, you're going the other way and it's going, but you're trying to go that way. You know, really, you're not going anywhere. And the same can be true for Christians. We need to be going in the right direction, keep moving forward. We can't rest on our past accomplishments, our past achievements. I mean, think about Paul was, Paul was after he came to Christ. Could you imagine if Paul sat around with other believers and talking about, you know, what God has done in their lives? One of them says, well, you know, the Lord inspired me to say something to someone today, and, and it was wonderful. Another guy says, yeah, yeah, I got to share my faith. How about you, Paul? Anything happened to you? Well, yeah, God gave me some inspired letters to write called epistles that are going to make up half the Bible that's going to last forever. I mean, who could top that? One might say, well, God spoke to my heart once. Or another, well, I was really blessed at church. I really sensed the presence of the Lord. How about you, Paul? Well, I actually died and went to heaven and was sent back to earth again to write some more scripture that will be inspired by God and read by people forever and ever. Did I mention that God used me to raise people from the dead? I mean, Paul, if anyone could boast, it would be Paul. Yet he did not boast. In fact, he said, I have not attained. I have not reached I have so far to go. Listen, no matter how long you've been a Christian, Paul is saying you need to keep moving forward. Don't stop. Keep climbing. Don't get discouraged. It's like the illustration that Jason gave uh, when he was here a couple of years ago about Florence May Chadwick. In 1952, Florence attempted to swim the 26 miles from uh, Catalina Island to the California coastline. As she began, she was flanked by small boats that watched for sharks and were prepared to help her if she got hurt or if she grew tired. After about 15 hours, this thick fog set in and Florence began to doubt her ability. She told her mother that, that it was one of the boats. I don't think I'm going to make it. She swam for, another, swam for another hour before asking to be pulled out, unable to see the coastline due to the fog. And as she sat in the boat, she found out that she had stopped swimming just one mile away from her destination. No matter how long you've been a Christian, Paul is saying you need to keep moving forward. Now, history is full of people who almost gave up but focused just on a small goal and was able to reach great accomplishments. That's the secret to the Christian life. One day at a time. One step at a time. Don't give up. Don't give in. The Lord sees you. You're loved. You're appreciated. Galatians 6, 9, Paul tells us, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. What was it that Paul was seeking to attain, seeking to to, to help him move forward towards? He says in verse 2 here, all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Now, there are riches that we have in Christ. Just read, you know, Ephesians chapter 1. But two things stand out to me when I think about all the riches that we have in Christ that really we didn't have before we came to Christ. A couple of things, joy and peace. Joy and peace. I know we, we lose, use those terms a lot. The Bible uses them over and over again. But this is the question, do we really have joy and do we really have peace? These indeed are riches. Why? Because they're rare. It's rare to find a person who has joy, not happiness, but inner joy. Because real joy can't be found anywhere outside of Christ. Even though, as that old 70s song said, 
joy to the world, all the boys and girls, joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea, joy to you and me. There is no joy apart from Christ. Even if Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Another song you can look up later for those of you that are older. Younger, rather. Same thing is true for peace. There, if we know there's no peace in this world, people aren't at peace with each other because they're not at peace with themselves because they're not at peace with God, their Creator. And sadly, even for Christians, who the Bible promises joy and peace, they're not experiencing it. Why? Well, because Paul answers here why. The riches of peace and joy are a result of something which results from something else. Look at verses 2 and 3. You'll experience the riches of peace and joy when you have the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Full assurance there could be translated translated complete confidence. The riches are a result of a complete confidence that you have in Christ and through understanding the mysteries of Christ. Paul already cleared up that force back in chapter 1, verse 27, which is the mystery, Christ in you, your hope of glory. So the riches here speak of a, of a complete confidence of Christ in you, your hope of glory. But here again is the sad thing. There are many people in the church today who have not placed complete confidence in Jesus Christ. They really don't have uh, all the full assurance that Jesus is all they need because deep down inside, they, they don't really believe Christ is in them and with them. They don't have nothing of being led by the Spirit or what it means to walk in the Spirit. They've never responded to God's Spirit in their hearts to lead them. Yes, they walk with the Lord, and yes, they serve the Lord, and they try very best to be good Christians, but it's all in their own energy. It's the energy of their flesh, the energy of their own strength, and their own ability to live for Christ. They need to surrender. Listen, it's not about us, it's about Him. As our verse for the year, Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's about Him. Who, according to Ephesians 3.20, is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The power of the Holy Spirit working in us. All the treasure of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Not hidden from us like a, a hide-and-seek game you get. You gotta find. No, that would, it's something that, that's, uh, uh, you know, that are, is ready to be discovered. The more we seek Him, the more we find Him. The more we seek Him and consider Him and yield to His Holy Spirit, the more we discover the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Digging in God's Word, finding those, those nuggets. So keep climbing, keep digging to the treasures of, chest of truth in God's Word concerning Jesus. And as a result, you'll realize how rich you really are. Because it brings us to point number three. Number one, keep connected. Number two, keep climbing. Number three, keep committed. Look at verse five. For though I'm absent in the flesh... Yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Notice Paul is rejoicing in two things here. To see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. That good, that word good order is a military term, which means to stand shoulder to shoulder. And that's what we as believers need to be doing, standing shoulder to shoulder, that we stay committed to each other. I think we can learn something from our, our few, our proud, our Marines. You know, Semper Fi, you bet it. Always faithful. It's, it's their motto, their voice of loyalty and commitment to their fellow Marines. Because Marines don't give up on fellow Marines. It's not Semper Fi sometimes. It's not. 
Once a Marine, always a Marine. It's the same. We need to stay committed to each other, stay committed to the Lord. And that, that word steadfastness means to have a solid front, to be immovable. Standing shoulder to shoulder, locking our shields of faith together as a body of believers through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, not allowing anything to penetrate. Standing steadfast in Christ, immovable. Paul puts it this way in, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. I like it in the New Living Translation. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So much that we do in our flesh is so useless. You know, so much we're just going to fall apart. It's going to pass away or break down. But that which we do for the Lord, to worship the Lord, what we give Him, the work we do for Him, the gifts we bring Him, that's not useless. Even if it seems what you're doing for Him is not making a very big impact, know this, your work is not useless. I love what Pastor Chuck Smith used to say. You have only one life and it will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Listen, God is going to reward us not for our unfaithfulness, but for your faithfulness. Always faithful. Semper Fi. The Colossian church, man, they had a, a reputation for being committed to each other and Paul wanted them to stay committed to that good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Speaks of endurance. Speaks of staying the course. Being committed for the long haul. Staying committed to each other. Committed to Christ. So keep connected. Keep climbing. Keep committed. Finally, number four, keep consuming. You know, when you're going on a hike, if you've done this before, you need to stay hydrated. You need to have your water, you know. And water's good, but man, you need to, to have some protein. You need to keep going that way. And in and, and the same way, we need to keep consuming, taking in of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said He's the living water. He gives us life. We, so we need to be consumed with the Lord. Look at verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Paul says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, now that your sin is forgiven, now that you are born again, you're going to heaven, two things you need to do while you're still here. Walk in Him, and number two, stay rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. First, our walk. Walk in Him. What does that mean? It means that our lives are all about Him. It's all about Jesus. That means we're to continue, as I said, to move forward in our relationship with Him. Keep climbing with encouragement not to stop. Now, you may uh, experience a wonderful outpouring of God's Spirit in your life and think, man, it doesn't get any better than this. And you might think, well, I've reached this plateau. And a great many people think that the Christian life is some great overwhelming experience. You take off like a rocket going out into space and that, that's where you live your Christian life. No, it's not. Man, it, it, the Christian life is in your home. It's in your office. It's in, in the schoolroom. It's on the street. And the way you get around is to walk the walk. Walk in Christ. Be consumed with Christ. Everything we do, we do it for Him. Paul will get to that in chapter 3 when he says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. Colossians 3.23 That's why Paul encourages us to walk in Christ. And then he says in verse 7, to stay rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. The idea of being rooted is, is like a tree that's planted, that the roots, it's alive. The tree is alive and, and we're planted in Christ. Therefore, allow our roots to go deep into Him. How do you do that? 
Bible study. Bible study, prayer, fellowship. Then according to Ephesians 4.14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Why? Because our foundation, our roots go deep in Christ. Then Paul says we need to be built up. Built up uh, like a house. A house is not a living thing, but it has a, a sure foundation, a tremendous foundation. Paul tells the Ephesians that our foundation is in Jesus Christ. He's a solid rock foundation. Not Don't be moved. So having received Christ, we're to walk in Him, being rooted, drawing from life from Him as a tree, built up in our faith, resting upon Him. And then he adds, and established in the faith. I think a better translation of that would be established by the faith, by your faith. See, faith is the means by which you and I lay hold of Christ. And it's faith based upon God's Word. Listen to Habakkuk 2, verse 4 in the New Living Translation. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. And you can say that today. Man, look around. Look at our society. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Then he says, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. As you've been taught, that's the idea of sitting in a classroom, being taught, growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, digging into the treasure house that he has for us. And then finally, he says, doing it with thanksgiving, abounding it with thanksgiving, he says. Another way of putting that, abounding, overflowing with thanksgiving. So, rooted like a tree, built up like a building, taught in the school, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Let me tell you, it's tough to live that way. It will consume your life. But it's supposed to. If you're born again, I mean, that's what it means to be born again. Our lives are no longer our own. We are hidden in Christ. So, keep connected, keep climbing, keep committed, and keep consuming yourself with Jesus Christ. You do this, and Paul's prayer for the Colossian church will be answered by this Springfield church, rooted and built up with him and established in the faith as you have. I want to close with this. When I was about 10 years old, I decided to join the Boy Scouts and one of my first backpack trip, you know, into the mountains in San Bernardino. And, and uh, now this was way back before they had all the fancy backpacks and all the padding and all that stuff. And so I borrowed my cousin's who was, he was seven years older than me. And basically it was a canvas bag with canvas stripes or straps on there. So that's all it was. So then I proceeded to fill it up. Now, I had enough stuff in that backpack to last me a week in the wilderness. Now, I was about five feet, five inches tall and weighed about 80 pounds. My backpack weighed about 50 pounds. You know, I don't think we got, we made a quarter of a mile and I was dying. Just dying, blisters on my shoulders. Last one in line, all these guys, they were more experienced. They were hiking and they, they had, you know, the nice backpacks and all that. And on top of that, our scoutmaster got lost. He's looking for the campground, which should be only two or three miles away. And, and so we ended up a five or six mile hike. Man, I was burdened down. I was not prepared and I was ready to give up. Does that sound like any of you this morning? Burdened down, not prepared, ready to give up. Listen, I learned some important lessons on that, that trip. Number one, pack light. <laughs> Number two, be prepared. Most importantly, number three, don't give up. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us that. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance a race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Maybe you've been packing a whole lot of excess burdens on your shoulders and of slowing down your climb, your, your walk with the Lord. Let the Lord take them from you. Give it to the Lord. Whatever it is you may be going through, cast your cares upon Him. Cast your burdens to Him. The, the writer of Hebrews says for us to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So there's a weight, something that may be slowing you down, but there also may be a sin that's be, that may be going on. Maybe it's a secret sin that, that you don't want anyone else to know, but it's, but it's dragging you down. Somehow a certain sin or opportunity for sin entered your life and you've not been the same since. It's ensnaring you. Your heart is getting colder towards God. Maybe you remember that time when you were on fire for the Lord, but now you feel weak and you doubt your relationship with God. Maybe even feeling like a hypocrite coming to church and doing what you're doing. You just can't seem to break the hole that it has in your life. You don't know how to get back. The answer is simple. The Bible says, lay aside every weight and sin. Not just wait, the sin. Give it to the Lord. Find that forgiveness in Christ. Find the strength to overcome it from Christ. As we close this morning, I want to give us an opportunity in prayer just to bring all of our cares, all of our concerns, all of our burdens, all of our sins, just to the Lord. Confess it to the Lord. We all know First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful. He's just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for how great you are, Lord. How powerful you are, Lord. Lord, the working that you're doing in our lives and in our hearts, we praise you for that, Lord. That we can be rooted and grounded in our faith in you, Lord, being connected. Lord, help us to stay connected one with another, Lord, and with you, Lord, to, to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together, Lord, to be in fellowship one with another, to be encouraging one to another. Lord, help us to keep climbing, to keep moving forward, not to rest on our past achievements, Lord, but to look for opportunities that we might bring more glory to your name in the time that we have left. Lord, help us not to fall. Help us to stay committed to the task Lord, to, to achieve that which you've called us to do, Lord, we know that you give us the power and the strength to do it. And finally, Lord, we want our lives to be consumed with you. And so, Lord, if there is any sin that has entered in, Lord, we know that sin separates our, our, our fellowship with you. It separates us from you. Not because you go away, Lord, but because we turn you away. Because we look to that sin. Lord, we want to stop now. And lay aside every weight and lay aside that sin. We confess it to you, Lord. We ask you to forgive us and cleanse us. Watch us wash us of all of our iniquity, Lord, we pray. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sin. Help us now to walk as forgiven people, Lord, to walk in, in your spirit, not in our flesh, as we wait for your return. And finally, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to make a commitment to you, 
They're not born again. They don't know what it means to have joy and peace in their life, to have their sins forgiven. Lord, would you especially touch their hearts this morning. They would turn from their lives and turn to you for new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.